Well, this summer, for the second summer in a row, in case you were paying attention, we have been doing a series on letters from a friend. As we were talking about the letters in the New Testament and which ones we wanted to do, Jeff Lindsay suggested that we might do Philippians. Now, if you know Jeff Lindsay, I'll give you a couple spoiler alerts about how he rolls in the world. The one is he loves the Psalms, okay? Loves the Psalms. The second is that he loves the book of Philippians. So when I suggested, hey Jeff, you know we did Philippians last summer, he was like, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> and you know what, it hit me a couple things. One is that none of you remember all of our sermons from last summer because I don't remember all of my sermons from last summer. <laughs> the second thing is, is that every time we read a part of the Bible, right, we're different people in the moment when we're reading. Our lives have transpired and evolved over the last year, and we have no idea how God's Spirit might animate the same sentence in a way that you've never seen or thought of before. And so my prayer is today, whether you have memorized the book of Philippians, whether you've never read it before, whether you have my sermon on Philippians from last summer memorized, Whatever it is that you would be encountered anew by this text and that it might encourage you. So thinking of letters from a friend, in so many ways, that's precisely what these New Testament letters are. They're letters most dominantly from Paul, Paul in this case, to a Christian community, to a group of people who have newly had their lives transformed by being encountered by Jesus. And he's writing to encourage them, to in some cases instruct them, to challenge them. You know, they didn't have the internet. I'm sure you're aware of that. And so they had to write this out and then it would be sent and it would be read in the gathered community and shared in this sort of way. So thinking about these letters, I want you to imagine, and I mean this, I want you to imagine for a moment that you are writing an email or penning a letter with the subject line or the intent of living is Christ. Okay. The subject line of this email or letter of yours is about living is Christ. What would the contents of that email say? To live is Christ. What does that mean? Dear Sarah, to me, you can send me this email. To live as Christ means, what would it say? What would you want people to know? What are the most important things to you about what it means to live as Christ? Do you have at least maybe a sentence? You can keep thinking about it as I'm talking about the text, okay? What does it mean to you to say to live is Christ? What would you put in that email or letter? That's in so many ways what's going on here in this letter that Paul is writing to the Philippians. He's saying to the church there in Philippi, here's what it means to follow Jesus. 
Here's what it means to be changed and transformed by this gospel. Here's who Jesus is. That's what he's writing to them throughout this entire letter. Today, as Jenny read for us, is a section earlier in the letter talking about how at this time, what's going on is it seems like there's many people who are preaching about Jesus. And some folks seem to be doing it from like really wonderful, heartfelt places. Some people might seem to be all about themselves. None of that happens today, right? And he says, hey, listen, what does it matter? The important thing is Christ is preached. Now, admittedly, I remember hearing this passage over my life. And I'd be like, but, but, but I, I don't like what they're saying, right? I don't like what's going on here. And so one of the invitations when I think about this text and Paul writing it is Sometimes we get so wrapped up in the things that we believe and what we're, how we think it should go. And then some people show up and, and they just mess it all up, right? And you don't want it to go that way. And I hear this as that invitation that none of us can control or fix or save one another. And maybe fundamentally, God doesn't need us to do that, right? The important thing is Christ is preached. Because whether I'm doing it from false motives or true, God is still God. And God can agitate and move and transform and wake people up, right? So it's like, not my job. This is also good Al-Anon theory. But it's really good gospel theory to remember you're not God. Let God take care of it. The important thing is for us to do the inner work ourselves? What does it mean that Christ is preached? What kind of heart is going on in me? Take care of my own side of the street and work on that. Now, it doesn't mean I still don't have feelings, opinions, thoughts, and critiques. But it means we release it and say, okay, God, you know how I'm feeling about this, but I just pray that your goodness, your mercy, your truth wins out in the end because I'm not God. So he starts there naming this. So clearly something's going on, right, in this time. Whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. So this leads me to my second question. What does it mean that Christ is preached? What does it mean that Christ is preached? Well, in the book of Philippians, in this letter, we have some clues about what Paul thinks it means. To say that Christ is preached, that we now have life in Christ, it's an invitation for all of us to follow in the way of Jesus. So what does it mean to you to say that Christ is preached? We continue in this text. He transitions from there and says, yes, and I rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit, Christ will turn this out for my salvation just acknowledging, like, I'm being carried by you as a community. Thank you for your support. And then he goes into this part of the text that the sermon title is based off of, that sense that whether living or dying, the important thing is Jesus. For me to live is Christ. And what does it mean to live is Christ? What is the content of that to follow after the way of Jesus 
to be transformed by Jesus in our lives. And then he says, and dying is gain. For Paul, as we read in Philippians and in other letters and texts, the dying is gain is the affirmation that we are going to be and will be in the presence of God. And so for him, that's the gain. Whether I live or die, I trust God. I know where my life is at. What does it mean to you to say to live is Christ, to die is gain? He goes through saying, hey, even though in some ways I'd rather be in the presence of Jesus, I've got work to do here. I need to be in relationship with you. This is what I'm called to do. This is the work that I need to be a part of. And I pray that you're standing firm in your own faith. And he names this. In so many ways, this text and then the letter itself is the call to Christian discipleship. Discipleship means that following after, the becoming like Jesus. So I was thinking about today, which is good if you're preaching a sermon, right? I was thinking about today and this text. And I was thinking about how some of you come from traditions in which you've been a part of an old school altar call. Now, for anyone whose anxiety just spiked, I'm not going to make you come up to the front today, okay? I see that hand over there, but don't worry, I'm still doing an altar call. (laughs) One of the beautiful things I love about our community is the fact that we each have different ways that we came to be a part of this church and different ways that we have experienced and understand what it means to live as Christ. For some of you, you can remember the moment when faith became alive to you and you said, God, I want to open myself and reorient and live in a different way. Some of you know the moment, you know what it felt like and that has changed you. Some of you are like, I don't know, I was like born in the waters of baptism and then Jesus and that's been my life. What other life would I live, right? That's some of you too. And then some of you are like, I'm here, right? Some of you are here for all sorts of different reasons. And that's one of the things I love about this community is all of us are welcome to be here, centering around the truth that we believe and we preach and proclaim that there is good news in Jesus. And that however you come, you are welcome as a beloved child of God And we want us all to keep following after this Jesus. So whether you're a skeptic or a true believer or somewhere in between all at the same time, that there is space for us all to be able to live into this call to follow Jesus and to be changed and transformed. And at the end of the day, as a Christian and as a pastor, that's my hope and longing and prayer is that each of us in our individual stories would be encountered by the love of Jesus and that it would keep on changing and transforming each of us that we would be a little bit more like Jesus today than we were yesterday. This call to discipleship is the acknowledgement that to follow Jesus isn't just a set of affirmations we name intellectually To follow Jesus isn't just about a one time where I raised my hand. 
To follow in the way of Jesus is the call to a way of life. It's a perpetual call. It's an ongoing invitation and ask. It's the reality that we screw up. And grace and love is still there for us, so we keep going. And it's never done until that last moment when we say to die is gain. I am imperfect, and when the perfect comes, I'll see it face to face, even though I don't know it fully yet. But this is where sometimes, maybe it doesn't sound like, uh, you better repent today. But I hope you actually hear me say, we are called and invited and challenged at all times by the good news of Jesus to change, to repent, to give our lives over. All of our lives, all of ourselves, ongoing throughout the entirety of our lives. That Jesus isn't a one and done. Jesus, if Jesus is Lord, that means everything. That means my personal life and my public life. That they are both holistically spaces where Jesus is calling. That the business we do and the way that we parent, all of that is connected. The call to follow Jesus here is to live as Christ. And Paul says more about what this means in chapter 2. He says, if our life in Christ means anything, if the love or the spirit we have in common, or there's any tenderness, then be united, right? That the one thing that could make me completely happy is that if your attitude would be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very image God, did not consider equality with God something to be clung to, but instead became completely empty, empty took on the image of oppressed humankind, born in the human condition, found in human likeness, and humbled himself, accepting even death on a cross. And because of this, God exalted Christ and gave Jesus the name above every name that everyone on earth and under the earth and every tongue would proclaim this to the glory of God. So yes. This is a call and an invitation that I am going to ask and invite you to keep saying yes or say yes anew or say yes for the first time to know that God loves you. This love isn't just for us to feel good or to have an escape from hell or anything like that. It is a call to follow in the way of Jesus to let Jesus change and transform us so that we then can follow in this sort of way where we humble ourselves and we journey amongst this world full of wonder and brokenness, seeking to be people who bring about the kingdom of God through our pursuit of Jesus. It's a call to conversion and metanoia. That's literally the Greek it means, right, to turn. And we keep turning, and we keep turning, and we keep turning. We keep turning because we know that we are loved, that we are held by this God who wants us to actually live, and to live a life that's not just about ourselves or our own gain, but that is for our neighbor's well-being as well, right? To live is Christ, to die is gain. 
Jesus as the Lord of our lives means that no other Messiah in this world gets to have our fealty. To say Jesus is Lord at that time was a repudiation of saying Caesar is Lord. To say Jesus is Lord is to say there is no other king, no other center to which I give my life. And so we seek to give our lives over and over again, deeper and deeper to this call to live like Christ. One of the reasons I speak about it like this is because I'm very aware that I'm a human. That it wasn't just one time I said, okay, I'm gonna follow Jesus, now I'm cool, right? Just like for those of you who are married, you got married one day and then everything was cool from then on. Right, that's how it works. That's how relationships work, I heard, anyway. I also said that when I started my job. I started today, I'm good. No more sermons I need to preach ever again, I'm good, right? We're in process, and that's the point. That's okay, that's part of it, and that's why this call to live as Christ is ongoing, it's continual, it's the invitation. Two things I wanna say to like nuance this a little bit more. The one is, uh, any good former or current Lutherans who just happen to be Congregationalists right now? (laughs) And if you don't know, you're at a Congregational church. We like Jesus and we're a community of people. Welcome. Um, (laughs) That's not our technical byline. Um, So, okay, so if you were a good Lutheran or you know anything about Lutheran theology, one of their center theological concepts is the idea of law and gospel. So the law is you gotta hit them with the stuff that's like, hey, it's not going so well. And the gospel is God loves you and it's gonna be okay that it's not going so well, so just give it over and give your life, right? I love that idea because sometimes, right, we need to get challenged. That there are ways that we've been showing up in the world, things that have been going on that aren't in alignment with the gospel that we affirm that we believe whether this be the ways that we treat our neighbors, the way that we're showing up, the way that we're ordering our lives, we need sometimes a little bit of law that says, hey, like, not great, right? Have you ever had someone confront you about something? Whether it was on an individual level or they're like, oh, that was actually pretty racist, Sarah, right? Doesn't feel great. (laughs) But the gospel is always there saying, yeah, and there's more life. So keep being transformed and changed by this good news. Law and gospel, that's part of this call to discipleship and live the way of Jesus. The second thing that I wanted to name with that is just to say in this whole life call, the reason why it matters. It matters because it seems pretty biblical that we're supposed to follow God with our whole lives. It's always a good reason. The second reason that correlates with that, and maybe God is onto something here, is that sense when it's not the whole of our lives, when we have unintegrated parts of ourselves, violence comes out sideways. Let me give an example of this. Christian theologians, at the time of the rise of Nazi Germany and subsequently thereafter, they critiqued what they called the bourgeois uh, faith. And it was a sense of what happened was, it was all about privatized personal faith. And the challenge was that when our faith is only private and only about part of my life, or I think, oh, one and done, I'm good, 
if I don't keep seeking that integration of living in the way of Jesus, this way of humility, it allows me to then turn my face away in view of my neighbor's suffering. The church was absolutely complicit in the time of Nazi Germany, right? That is not the way of Jesus. And that's why the call to follow Jesus, the call to conversion and repentance, the call to be Christian, is one that is a call to the whole of our lives. That says Jesus doesn't live here on Sundays. That's, Jesus is everywhere. Jesus actually is in you and with you. So what does it mean to think about the way that I live my life and the call of Jesus? What does that mean for us? And of course, we live in a broken and messed up world where we can't live that out perfectly. But we can keep growing and trying because God's grace and love is here for all of us. In case you couldn't tell, I have a few thoughts about what I would say in my email about living as Christ. To live as Christ, for me, I believe, is a call to follow Jesus. To follow in the way of Jesus. To seek to be continually transformed by the God who humbled himself, accepting even death on a cross. Continuing to flesh out the stuff in me and in us that's tied to our egos and self-preservation and to let the gospel get preached. So we might then know in our bodies and in our bones what it means to live as Christ. To know what it means to be a little bit more free. So my invitation to all of us this morning (laughs) is that you would come down in your heart and soul. Come down to the altar and do that every day to keep giving our lives, to keep in constant dialogue and openness to God's spirit as God's spirit is moving, to be willing to open our hands and say, I don't know it all, I don't, I don't have all the answers, I'm not doing this perfectly, and that's the point, right? Otherwise, we wouldn't need a savior, we wouldn't need God, right? And then within that, the fundamental truth that I pray would hold you is that God so loved the world. That's why God came in Jesus. That God's love might hold and heal and transform and bring us back home until the day we get to live at home forever. Might we turn? And might we live? For to live is Christ. Might you know life? And might it set you free?